Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, all. Laura here. We're trying something new at Unchained. We'll be doing live streams every other week of a new show called The Chopping Block, a conversation between four crypto investors, Haseeb Qureshi and Tom Schmidt, managing partners at Dragonfly Capital, and Robert Leshner and Tarun Chitra, managing partners at Robot Ventures. In each episode, Haseeb, Tom, Robert, and Tarun will discuss recent events in crypto. We will also release these conversations on the podcast, so you can always tune in later, but... The live streams will be the earliest you can catch the shows, and in general, the videos will have all the visual content, whereas the podcasts will, obviously, only be audio. I've already watched a few of their discussions, and they're fun. Plus, they give you a wealth of insight into the many happenings in the space. I just wanted to pop in here to explain why, number one, there's a live stream going on, and number two, why I am not a part of it. So with that done... Now, I will turn it over to Haseeb. Thanks, Laura. And uh, thanks for chaperoning and making sure that we're behaving ourselves. So uh, without further ado, without further ado, let's, let's kick off the show. So uh, hey, everybody. Welcome to The Chopping Block. Uh, every couple of weeks, the four of us get together and we give an industry insider's perspective on the crypto topics of the day. So quick round of intros. Um, I'll share with Tom. Tom is the DeFi maven and the master of memes. Uh, whoa, did you just, did you just jiggle no, the lights? No, there's a, there's, a there's a little power surge over here. So sorry about <laughs> oh, that. Oh, wow. You that say was, his name and, you know, the DeFi. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was, like, oh, I was, that was God, intentional. Yeah. Kind of, yeah, yeah. You got your own light show going on over there. Mm. Um, then we've got Robert, crypto connoisseur and captain of Compound. Uh, Robert is also, for whatever reason, he's hanging out in a little girl's bedroom for reasons that he cannot fully explain. It's where uh, I podcast. <laughs> What's that? It's where I podcast from. It's, ah, oh, got it, got it, got it. That's your studio. That's your studio. Um, and then we've got Tarun, the Giga Brain, and Grand Poobah at Gauntlet. And uh, lastly, there is myself, Haseeb. I am Chief Hype Man at Dragonfly. So the four of us are early stage investors in crypto. Uh, but I want to caveat that nothing we say here is investment advice or legal advice or even life advice. So um, taking everything you hear here, with a grain of salt because it's crypto and you should do your own research. How is everybody doing today? Uh, also, Tom, you just got back from Taiwan. How's it being back in America <laughs> after spending like all of COVID in Taiwan? Yeah, it's been uh, mixed, I would say. I obviously like the COVID situation a little bit better in Taiwan, but it's nice being back and, you know, seeing my friends and family and eating Mexican food. And I'm feeling, I, it's not my office, but, you know, I got the very patriotic like poster in the background. So people always ask me about that. It's, Bruce Springsteen. So anyway, it's good to be back. Nice, nice. And um, overall verdict on Taiwan? Taiwan number one. You know, it's it's number one for a reason. Um, yeah, it's, it's awesome. There's a great crypto scene there um, and it's really blossoming. A lot of cool new projects coming out and a lot of great entrepreneurs and people are just really great. You know, food's amazing. It's beautiful. I have uh, nothing but good things to say. I, I really miss Taiwan. I'm hopefully going to go back uh, next year as well. 
And uh, overall, guys, how's been your has been your holidays? Well, New Year's is in two days, and I'm about to get away for a very short R and R. And so, you know, we'll, we'll see soon. But you know, Happy New Year to everybody uh, in advance. Guys, nice. everyone yeah, I know you? has COVID, so I'm in. I'm in. I'm in like. Uh, <laughs> I am. I am honestly. um, So I I could not get a booster because uh, all of the all of the places that give booster shots here are super backed up. So I am kind of terrified of Omicron. Uh, I actually took Mm. a flight a few days ago and I did not get sick. I think maybe I'm asymptomatic, but um, I'm 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 just like at this point, I think so many people I know have Omicron or recently got Omicron Mm. that it just feels to me like everybody is going to get this thing. It's just like going to be the global vaccine. This is going yeah. to be how it ends. Is, is basically it might well be. Again. It might well be. That's how it seems right now. Yeah. Here's my um, here's my dark <clears throat> contrarian take on COVID, and then we can go straight into the crypto stuff. I think that COVID, in a twisted way, is actually pro crypto, and it goes to the argument that I think a lot of people are losing faith in government governments mm-hmm. based on the response or miss you know response to COVID in general, and. Distrust in governments equals a, a search for alternate approaches, whether it's monetary systems or government forms of you know, communication and consensus. And I think long term, this will be one, you know, major, you know, footnote in the history of why crypto succeeded. Hmm. I could see that. Um, I, I remember early when COVID first started being it, it was really not obvious at that time how COVID was going to affect crypto. And in retrospect, I feel like maybe it should have been, it should have been obvious that crypto, that, that like everybody being at home and just being really antsy and bored and going half crazy was going to cause a lot of, uh, it was going to be very bullish for everything going on in, in crypto. Um, but I, I totally agree with you that in retrospect, so many of the trends that COVID kicked off have been really, really good for the adoption and the, and the growth of the crypto industry. Yeah. Even just living online, being digital, right? Like the fact that fundraising and team building and like everything that we do now is happening remotely, like was was not a given, you know, three or four years ago. Certainly some people were pushing for remote work and remote investment, but people were still used to, you know, fly to the Bay Area to like do all their fundraising grounds. And like, it was weird to like have a remote team. And now that's almost kind of becoming more the norm. Yeah. I mean, you know, you'll, you may, you may always see me say this on Twitter, but I am so happy that crypto and COVID killed San Francisco. (laughs) <laughs> they like you know, they, they, they did had a one-two sucker punch it was like yeah. it was great it's true i mean we we recently did our uh, team offsite for dragonfly and um we it used to be that like 30 to 40 percent of all of our entrepreneurs were in the bay area and uh, during our offsite we invited uh, a bunch of our entrepreneurs there and it we're now down to like less than 10 percent of all of our founders are in the bay and i i, I just don't know that it's going to come back so it does feel like the world has fundamentally changed and the, and the allocation of capital has fundamentally changed. And I, I don't think it's going to revert now that all of that intellectual capital, all of that sort of movement freedom and the, and the, the inability to extract rents from forcing everybody to be in the same place and, and pay the same landlords and pay the same coffee shops and uh, pay the same taxes. All that is kind of gone now. And so many, I mean, even out of New York, like I just heard that there's a, a lot of folks leaving New York now and going to Miami um, for similar lesions as people, people have realized that like, okay, the bit license and the New York state tax is just like so onerous. As long as we have the crypto people together, 
we don't really need all the other stuff that is bundled with living in New York. Have you been? Have you been? Have you been to Miami and found anyone who isn't an investor in crypto? That's the. That's the. That's the. the, Where's Waldo? Uh, That's true. The the office is in New York. Where they still? They they have an office in Soho. Yeah. Oh, I thought they. I thought they got it. There's like thirty people in that office. No, he's wow. traveling a lot, but he he's he might be okay. the exception. What I'm saying is I see. that maybe like the investor or like the CEO is moving to Miami, mm. but the teams are not. I feel like that is the trend. It's not like, oh, like Austin and Miami are like killing San Francisco and New York. It's like, no, like, you know, one founder is in the Bay and then there's like a, you know, eng lead in New York and then they have a designer in Europe and then they have like a data person in Asia. And it's kind of just like, yeah, like that that's the, the sort of profile of team that I see these days, not like. Everybody's in Miami. Miami's the new San Francisco. Yeah, no, that sounds right. It does. Um, I mean, Miami just has such a different vibe than either New York or San Francisco. Like you, you import people into Miami. You don't, you don't hire people from Miami, generally speaking, if you're a tech founder. Hot take I will have is that I think Magic Leap failed because they were based outside of Miami. Burn. <laughs> just uh just, just one. They, I think I don't know been, enough about Magic Leap to be able yeah. to weigh in there, but okay, fair enough. All right, so let's let's get into the meat of it, guys. Um, so I wanted to take this get a semi-inaugural episode to look back on all the craziness that's happened this year, because as as we've been talking about, it's been a totally bizarre and wild 2021. Uh, so I wanted to look back at biggest wins, biggest losses, biggest lessons from 2021. So without further ado, uh, let's get into it. The way we're going to do this is. Uh, we're going to announce the particular topic slash competitions, like biggest winner, biggest loser, et cetera. And uh, we're going to each go around and explain uh, our choice. A lot of people in the audience might not know what we're even talking about. So we'll explain our choice uh, in just a few sentences, uh, and then we'll go around and, and uh, each share. So we'll start with biggest winner. Who wants to go first? Biggest winner of 2021. I'll go first. I think um, when we were doing your reflection for this, I think one thing that's always difficult in crypto is to not like, you know, just choose like, okay, who, like what asset went up the most in price and what went down the most in price? Cause that's obviously like a part of it, but it's also part of the story of like product adoption, right? And like what actually success looks like for some of these, these, these products and these protocols. And so for me, biggest winner in, in uh, 2021 was uh, alternative L1s or different smart contract, contract platforms to Ethereum. Um, so obviously people are super excited about um, Solana and Avalanche and Luna, and those really seem to be um, doing well in the in the market, but also just in terms of developer adoption. But I, I even think about stuff like BSC, which kind of kicked off the year um, as sort of this whole like you know alternative EVM chain uh, uh, sort of mania kicked off, or Polygon, or even Phantom, um, or you know I think even increasingly like we see uh, you know different exchanges developing their own ex- uh, chains and things like that. And so I think it, you know 2020 was I think all about Ethereum and DeFi summer and everything was happening on Ethereum. And this year, obviously, stuff was happening on Ethereum. But increasingly, it was happening on alternative L1s. And so that's kind of been the story in my mind over the past year or so. It's just been increasing adoption and traction. And also, you know, price has been part of the story for these other uh, smart contract platforms. That's a good point. I think you, I think you covered a lot of ground there, actually, in, in uh, all the other ones I mentioned. <laughs> there's some, no, there's, some, there's just some overlap, I think, in some other people's uh, answers, too. Tarun, Robert, you guys want to go next? I'll go next. I, I think the biggest winner um, is actually publicly traded crypto things. I think we're, there's two great examples of things that really did not exist in the public eye a year ago, but came 
um, into the public eye this year. So Coinbase and MicroStrategy, I think both have come to the forefront as publicly traded crypto companies that in their own ways are acting as huge legitimizing factors for the space that are creating a lot of awareness from investors that weren't as aware of you know crypto financial markets previously. But I think those two in some ways are the biggest winners um, and create sort of a winning halo for the rest of the ecosystem. I think they're going to set the groundwork for a lot of public companies to follow. And if you ask me, you know, 12 months ago, are there going to be like lots of public crypto companies? I would have said, no, not really. They're going to stay private for a really long time. You're going to see a lot of crypto existing truly only in private markets. But if you ask me now at the end of 2021, I think the answer is, yeah, I anticipate next year, the year after, the year after, there to be a lot more publicly traded in, on equity exchanges, not on crypto exchanges, publicly traded crypto based businesses that are real. You know, we had Long Island iced tea blockchain or whatever years ago, but they were all, you know, they were jokes, right? Now we're starting to hey, see hey, like- hey, Overstock.com was a real business. <laughs> True. <laughs> but I think this was the year that the public equity markets won by having two flag bearers for the asset class. Hmm. Where do you think that's going to come from? Do you think it's going to be more like existing public companies adopting- you know, crypto like Block or Square? Um, or do you think there's going to be companies going public? Do you think we're going to see like spot ETFs? Yeah, I mean, and this also goes to having at least future space ETFs in public markets. You know, I didn't want to include that because I think it's more negative than positive, at least in mm. a lot of people's minds. But I think we're going to see more exchanges go public over time. There's a lot of really solid, you know, domestic and international exchanges that I think have an opportunity to go public over the next two years. I think we're going to start seeing custodians going public over the next two years. And I think we're just going to see a lot of crypto native businesses, you know, becoming publicly traded instead of existing publicly traded things adopting crypto. Although Visa was a big, you know, player this year that's already like an extremely large, well-known publicly traded company that very seriously has been going into crypto. Obviously, Facebook slash Meta has been dabbling for years and years and years, but never really went live. And so, you know, I think we're going to see a lot more crypto native businesses go public over the next two years. Yeah, I think like in very Robert fashion, it's like you're the only one advocating for the TradFi uh, companies. <laughs> this. Like the rest of us are all picking like random meme coins. Uh, uh, Tarun, what was your pick? Yeah, so I didn't have one pick. I wanted to actually give like a category, kind of th- three things that broadly were like the biggest winners in their category. And like they're not comparable in some sense. Um, but I, I guess I have a, a little, a tiny different take um, on the all L1 season. Um, I, I actually think that there's this class of all L1s that did do well, and there's a whole slew of ones that were quite disappointing relative to what they were billed as in 2017 and 18 and, and maybe in 19. So I think the ones that really stood out, the the interesting thing to me was, you know, the Layer one with the hardest developer onboarding process, period. Uh, You know, really one, which is Solana. I think, you know, obviously AVAX and uh, Luna had crazy good times too. But but Solana was really out of the dark. I mean, in my mind, it was always extremely hard to write smart contracts for them. You know, but they sort of willed their way into, into kind of, you know, winning the all L1 war. Um, The other two... 
I want to mention were, of course, OpenSea. I mean, they obviously had kind of this record-breaking year. Maybe they'll be, you know, I know it's not exactly Robert's TradFi public company pick, but they could be very easily, in my mind, you know, one of these public company um, picks. And, you know, you, you, you're not successful, I feel like, at, the, at an equity business in crypto if you don't have tons of haters. And the fact that they have been vampire attacked should already tell you that. Um, vampire attack refers to basically people dropping a token to your users to try to get them to move to a new platform. And the last one I wanted to say was Wido. So staking derivatives were, you know, a theoretical uh, murmur uh, in, 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 in 2019. You know, there are some academic papers written 2020. But in 2021, we got a ridiculous percentage of Ethereum. And now Solana in different staking derivatives. And I think that is going to be a really big market uh, over the next five to 10 years. Nice. Those are great choices. Well, so I'll, um, I'll wrap things up on Biggest Winner. So my, I, I was a little too noncommittal. And so I, I gave my answer as a tie uh, between Dogecoin as being one of the biggest winners. I, I don't think originally I had Elon Musk and then I was like, well, he's won on too many other things. So I'll just, I'll just put Dogecoin instead. <laughs> as being uh, the biggest winner in his in his stead. And uh, I mean, Dogecoin kind of came out of almost nowhere. I guess it's always been around. It's always kind of been a thing, but like the, just the absolute staggering levels of demand and excitement around Dogecoin just blew my mind. Um, and probably like the one breakout crypto story of the year. If there's one from a mainstream perspective, it's probably Dogecoin, which is, which is bizarre to say, because of course it's not the largest by market cap, but it does feel like it was the, the, you know, like the word cloud of crypto this year, I feel like Dogecoin was the biggest. And then um, second on winners for the year, uh, I put Kyle Samani. So not, not everyone might know who Kyle Samani is, but uh, he is the he is one of the co-founders and managing partners of Multicoin Capital, which led the seed round and led the Series A of Solana. And so he is now a very, very wealthy man. I understand that he uh, now does all of his uh, conference call-ins from his... Uh, from his Lamborghini. And he's, he's just like, it, it, it's funny because one, one of the things I'm, I'm going to talk about uh, later is, is about EOS. And um, he was somebody who the entire crypto community, not the entire, but many people in the crypto community basically shit on in 2018 and 2019, particularly for his call on EOS uh, and claiming that he thought EOS was going to be really successful. It was going to be this super high performance layer one. It, you know, it, it was going to make these trade-offs around being less decentralized in order to get better performance. And EOS didn't really become that. Uh, but he took a bet on Solana saying like, no, 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 no. Okay. But I, I, maybe EOS wasn't it, but Solana is going to be it. And turned out he absolutely nailed it. And Solana has been a smashing success and, and kudos to him for, for sticking it out and, and believing in his uh, thesis. So yeah, everyone, say, everyone yeah, needs a redemption pound, arc. So it's yeah, absolutely, that absolutely. he gets say, Yeah. Pound for pound, the by far the most successful investor of 2021. I, I mean, I, I heard someone uh, claim that the Solana seed round is the highest IRR investment in venture history. <laughs> I don't know if that, that I haven't right. checked that number, but it could very well be. Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds right. Okay, so that's uh, Biggest Winner. Let's move on. Uh, next up, we have Best Mechanism. So this was a uh, this was requested by Tarun. And so I thought, all right, why not? Let's throw it on there. Best Mechanism. Tarun, given that it's your yeah. category, why don't you take it away? For sure, yeah. So I think um, 
you know, there was a, a very weird website that showed up in, in about March uh, or April, late March, early April 2020, um, which used a lot of Greek language and linguistic, loose uh, linguistic uh, technique. Uh, and, you know, it was completely written about the, the temples in Greece and, you know, different types of uh, different types of goddesses and gods were, were associated to the uh, pieces of this protocol. Um, but this protocol turned out, in spite of the fact that the docs were kind of impossible to read, and in spite of the fact that it seemed like it was a scam, it turned out to be one of the most successful and most copied and forked smart contracts um, on Ethereum-based chains. A sort of rough, quick uh, analysis that I did uh, showed Uniswap V2 uh, is the most copied contract, uh, most forked and redeployed contract. Uh, and then Synthetics Minter contract is number two. Now, I'm ignoring things like Open Zeppelin's like safe math and stuff because those get inlined and there's all sorts of technical details. So this is more for, for deployed, fully deployed contracts. And number three is Ohm. Uh, which is this protocol. And, and it really took me at least three or four months to wrap my head around why this thing was able to grow and get forked so much. Uh, you can basically think of it as, you know, the, our first step towards a system where a protocol manages its own liquidity by issuing uh, like instruments to people. Um, and it was a smashing success. I mean, it, it's, it's, there have been, you know, probably tens of billions of dollars in, in the own contracts. Uh, on multiple chains. Um, and so I, I, I think they deserve best mechanism. Uh, I'm working on trying to analyze it formally because I think there is something a lot deeper there that like is a good lesson for people. Because, you know, I think there are a lot of other other mechanisms that are extremely, you know, you would think like fixed interest rate loans that maybe would like catch on, but none of them have been able to. And part of it has to do with sort of some of the things that are hidden within them. Good mechanism. Sounds choice. like a detective novel. Yeah. Yes, yes. I, I of course, HFS <laughs> deep inside. I didn't own any. Down. There is a secret that we're going. That's, that's awesome. I like that. The hiddens of the temple. The hidden secrets of the temple. Yeah, it feels exactly. like a Dan Brown. Uh, feels like a Dan Brown novel somewhere in there. I like it. Okay, I, I'll go ahead. Uh, best mechanism. Uh, I chose ESD. So actually, I just looked up the price. That was I, 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 last year. Well, no, so it was last year, but it collapsed this year yeah. and then redefined okay. itself. So it was actually collapsing right on Jan 1 is when it slipped below 90 cents. And so I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to count that as this year. And um, so for those who don't know, ESD stands for empty set dollar. And basically, it's, it's probably beyond the scope of this podcast for me to explain how ESD worked. But suffice it to say, it was absolutely batshit crazy. Um, it was a stable coin that is kind of sort of stable only if you squint and really believe in it. And, uh, and that's ESD. It was not, it was not stable at all, but in a way it was a predecessor, I feel like to Ohm and um, kind of inspired more of the um, modifications around what a stable coin can be and what it even means to be a stable coin. Like, for example, the, the notion that you can call something a stable coin and not have it be worth a dollar. I feel like ESD invented that. And so I think Ohm owes a big tribute to ESD for the idea of, Yo, we can just call this thing a stablecoin, even when it's like not stable and not worth a dollar. Um, but it kind of aspires in some loose way to be worth a dollar. I thought it was great. And I think it also, a big part of mechanisms in crypto is teaching. And I feel like ESD was probably one of the most teachable moments of 2021 
uh, is teaching people that uh, hoping that something is true is not sufficient for actually making it true and that mechanism design really matters. And so I feel like um, ESD, I, I think actually internally at Dragonfly, for us, it was one of these moments where like a lot of people at the firm learned how much mechanism design matters. I, as as one of the people at Dragonfly who is into ESD, I will say, I think the the spiritual successor to ESD is actually Axie Infinity. Um, because the lesson here is that if the mechanism sucks, <laughs> it doesn't matter as long as you get enough people to believe in it. And then you have an amazing war chest that you can use to, to build something better down the road. And I don't know if they actually executed super well on it, um, on the idea, um, but they did sort of generate this idea that like you can sort of, hype first and and build later. And I think that's honestly kind of like what we're seeing now. Like Olympus is now doing like V2, Axie's working, reworking the game. Like you can sort of build a community and then like get this war chest and then back into something good as opposed to like, you know, nailing something off the bat and being sort of perfectionist um, at, at V1 launch. Well, to be clear, ESD right now, I'm just looking at it, has a $2.6 million market cap. Yes, yes. I think I think you know there was a, there was a concept and there was an idea okay. and there was a you know, an execution on the idea, but you know that the concept is 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 the, what what happened. Fair enough, uh, Tom. What's your pick? Best mechanism. Uh, I forgot we were doing this category, but I'm going to go ahead and say uh, Uni V3. I feel like um, Uni V3 was hyped and rumored, and people you know, all these these sort of uh, ideas floating around of like what it could possibly be. And I feel like it actually kind of blew everybody's expectations out of the water. There was a lot of um, FUD and a lot of concern and a lot of criticism when I think it first came out. But I think, as always, you could just look at the market and look at the data and see what works and what doesn't work. And just empirically, Univ3 is crushing it. Uniswap is like running away with the, the, the with the DEX market, especially the AMM market. And certainly, you know, there's there's some concerns around LP profitability. Uh, but I think if anything, it sort of, you know, created this amazing ecosystem around Uniswap around like, what can we do with this new tool? Like uh, the there's there's teams that are using the uh, Uni V3 positions to um, represent options. So you can get different type, or that's like Primitive and Brahma that do basically like options type type payoffs, but with um, LP positions um, or people adding you know, automated vault managers. And so I think like this will just continue to pay, you know, dividends down, you know, in, in future years as we see people. Um, you know, build ecosystems and get really creative on top of a UDV3. In addition to just providing, you know, sort of the bare essentials of being a really great, you know, AMM and providing really deep liquidity on chain. So um, I think UDV3, you know, the team really crushed it. And I think we've just seen it like just do extremely well in the market as well. So uh, that's gonna be my pick. Solid. And Robert? So I'm going to go with um, a um, maybe more controversial, but I, I, I think, you know, in my mind, the clear winner uh, mechanism designed for 2021, which I think is convex finance. Um, this dovetails with, I think, last year's best mechanism, which is V tokens or locking up tokens to vote in a protocol, which is coming back into vogue very quickly this year and next year, I'd say. Um, but the two of these go hand in hand really well as a combined mechanism. So Curve is you know, a very simple trading protocol and they have a governance token that you can stake for some amount of time to change really like how the liquidity of the different markets uh, evolves. What are the incentives to each market? Therefore, how large is each market? How liquid is each market? Convex basically takes advantage of this mechanism design. You could say it's cannibalizing it or it's parasitic or it's completely symbiotic or it's completely value accretive to it. But what it does is it allows people to um, 
exert more control over Curve's ecosystem. And what's incredible about this is this symbiotic relationship has created a massive amount of value for Convex as well as Curve. Convex today, this is the freak stat, which I don't think people appreciate. Convex today has a higher floating market cap than Curve does um, as a tool built on top of it, which is wild. And it's been, I think, one of the most successful things at um, creating an exuberance and you know new experimentation from dozens of other protocols that are now playing in this ecosystem, playing in the, quote, curve wars through Convex. It's starting to integrate with lots of other protocols in interesting ways. I think Convex is the number one mechanism of 2021. In the chat, someone someone thought I said Ohm is number three. I, I meant Ohm is definitely number one in my. He said Ohm is three comma three. That's what he said. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I will. I will. I want to give a, a honorable mention to to, to Robert's point. Uh, Abracadabra slash Mim, which is basically doing what Convex did to many other ecosystems at this point. Mm. Okay. Let's move on. I'm realizing that we're going to have to move a little bit faster to get through all these because we picked a ton. Um, okay, we're moving on to Biggest Loser now. Biggest Loser of 2021. Tom, go. Uh, this is going to be controversial. Uh, I have Bitcoin. Um, Bitcoin, Ooh. I feel like, has Ooh. really just fallen out of the conversation. Uh, like, new people wow. I talk to are interested in crypto we're about to aren't asking canceled. about Bitcoin. New investors aren't asking about Bitcoin. From a price action perspective, it has really like just done super poorly. I think, you know, year to date, it's done reasonably well because it started so low, but in a few you know, weeks time, it will basically be flat year over year. And so I think there's just so much enthusiasm has, has left from, from Bitcoin and it kind of has to like struggle to sort of figure out a, a, a narrative to define itself now. Because I think, because now it actually has competition, right? Like for the past 10 years or whatever, everything else was kind of vaporware, nothing else really like you can make promises, you can sort of make narratives around things they were working on, but Bitcoin was Bitcoin and it had the legacy and it had sort of you know, the understanding. And now, now, like, and I'll sort of talk about this later, like there are really comparing, compelling alternative narratives to the Bitcoin narrative. Um, and there's a lot more just frankly, like things to do that are a lot more encompassing than sound money. And I think um, that has kind of sucked a lot of the air out of the room uh, for, for, you know, uh, Bitcoin sales. That's a, that's a, that's a bold, but very reasonable choice. Bold choice, go. Tom. I only have one tiny question. Which which had which was down bad more, Lightning or Bitcoin in your mind? So this is actually what's weird. Lightning is actually doing really well. I don't know if you looked at like um, uh, Lightning channel capacity um, in Bitcoin terms, but it's gone crazy over like the past six months. Um, so the thing that like I never thought would happen is happening, which is like Bitcoin has not done well and Lightning is doing super well. So it's a very strange sort of you know, world that we're living in right now, but um, yeah. It seems like El Salvador has actually been, and Strike in particular has actually been a big catalyst for that. Yeah, that's what it seems like. Yeah. Okay, Robert, biggest loser. So this is an esoteric one, but I think the grayscale arbitrage trade, which was at the heart <laughs> of a lot of activity in the crypto markets in general, it drove huge flows of capital for years and years and years, was the biggest loser this year. So to walk people through what happened and why this is important, 
there used to be a trust called the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. And this thing for years traded at a premium to the value of the Bitcoin that it held because there was really no good way for a lot of people to like buy Bitcoin. They weren't going on Coinbase and buying Bitcoin. They were like sitting on their E-Trade and they were like, how do I get Bitcoin? Let me buy the only product that's available through my brokerage account, which was like this publicly traded trust. And for that reason, the trust always traded more than the value of the Bitcoin inside. Well, this year it flipped from a premium to a discount. And now it trades at a fraction of the value of the Bitcoin that it holds. And this thing has like $15 billion of Bitcoin in it. And so for years, hedge funds were feasting on this mechanism. They were um, basically like subscribing, creating new shares of the Bitcoin trust, and then selling it to retail at a premium, taking their money back and doing it again. It drove huge amounts of borrowing demand for Bitcoin and stable coins and all of these different things so that you could do this trade. You know, at the end of the day, it's one of the like the primary causes of like what was a lot of the borrowing demand in the ecosystem. Well, this year it flipped to a negative and it stayed negative for like a real for the entire year. The discount gets worse and worse and worse. And all of the different traders that were participating in this trade and had been doing so successfully for years all got smoked on this. And it changed, I think, a lot of the flows of the capital markets of crypto in ways that people notice and in ways that people don't notice. But Underneath the surface, I think this was the biggest event of 2021 for, you know, the crypto native institutions. Yeah, notoriously, block a lot of BlockFi's business was built on the GBTC trade. Oh, and when that the trade majority, blew up, yeah. almost their yeah. whole business. <laughs> right, exactly. When that when that trade blew up, they, I mean, thankfully, they've managed to diversify into other sources of revenue. But um, that was a lot of why they could offer really high rates is that they they were able to make it up on the other side through doing the GBTC trade. So. Nowadays, and it, it also reflects very much in interest rates, as you pointed out. This is like, you know, the, 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 the net that you can make on your crypto um, is just down a lot more when, that, when right. the trade stopped. Right. When people ask, like, why does crypto do what it does? Like, this is one of the big, you know, drivers of what happened everywhere else in the crypto markets was this trade. Right. Ending. Yeah, that's a great that's a great answer. Very inside baseball, but I loved it. Yeah. Um, well, hopefully someone listening learned one thing there. So. <laughs> learned one thing that they couldn't trade on. That's exactly what the show is exactly. about. Oh, it's about sorry. telling you things you can't make money on. Well, um, actually, now you actually can make money on this. So if you're naturally long Bitcoin and you expect that one day, you know, the trust is going to get converted to an ETF, which Grayscale has been like publicly like saying they want to do, you can sell your Bitcoin for let's say, you know, $46,000 and you can buy Bitcoin for the equivalent of like, you know, $38,000 in this trust and have more Bitcoin. Wait, is okay? the discount that high? Yeah, it's like 20%. Yeah, I mean, I can give you the exact oh, number. Wow. It's huge, right? And so you can basically rotate out a physical Bitcoin into trust Bitcoin. And when it becomes an ETF or is more freely, you know, convertible, you'll have more Bitcoin. Um hmm. You know, not many people Super are doing not this. investment advice, but... Not yeah, investment advice, <laughs> obviously. But if you feel like becoming extremely sophisticated on how some of these, like, basis trades work, you know, someone's loss is someone else's gain. Groovy. Okay, well, my answer is a lot less sophisticated. Uh, I said biggest loser this year was EOS slash Block One. Uh, EOS, I alluded to them earlier as the... Uh, 
the original darling of Multicoin. It was Dan Larimer's, uh, you know, kind of, it was, it was his magnum opus, I believe was the way he described it. Um, unfortunately, EOS uh, being the Solana before Solana, uh, it didn't really quite work. Uh, it was super janky. The economics were a complete mess. And it, uh, it eventually got abandoned by Block One in that Block One kind of went off to do bullish exchange, which is this big, crazy exchange that was capitalized with a bunch of the Bitcoin on EOS's balance sheet. Um, and they just kind of were hanging out. I don't really know what they were doing. Um, but eventually what happened relatively recently is that, so EOS contains in it a perpetual block reward for block one as kind of like a thank you and a, you know, kiss on the cheek from the EOS community that thank you for birthing us, father. And recently EOS decided to fork out the block reward to block one because they felt that they had been abandoned and that block one was no longer holding up their end of the bargain. And instead was off, you know, doing all this financial engineering with bullish exchange and, and voice and whatever else they're doing. Um, and so block one, to be clear, still very, very rich. They own a, a crap load of Bitcoin. They're you know, worth, I think like 2 billion or something, some crazy amount of money. Um, but I'd say biggest loser this year feels to me like EOS, one of the only layer ones that feels like somehow managed to avoid all of the lift on layer ones this year. I have a very esoteric one, so I apologize, but please. <laughs> Perfect the, form. <clears throat> the number two NFT platform in March 2021, what do you think it was? After OpenSea Foundation. Number two by volume. Nifty Gateway. Oh, Nifty Gateway. There was Nifty Gateway, but there was actually in Mo Nifty had like uh, a, the big bump in like April, May. I think like in March uh -huh. it was OpenSea and then Hen, which was uh, this... Hmm. <clears throat> open sea on tezos it was 98 percent of like tezos activity for like a couple days uh but the interesting thing about hen was it attracted a completely different type of uh artists than you you had in ethereum um so hen hen was really focused on generative art and on-chain art so like the you know the nft would change itself every time it got transferred or there'd be something uh you know kind of more game-like and they were really Whoa. at the vanguard of this. And then their founder rage quit um, earlier this summer and like abandoned all these artists and like how a lot of money that was owed was like stuck in the contracts and like it was a huge nightmare. And so now it's like sort of being like revived by the community. Um, but it was kind of a big blow up for the generative art world. Um, and, and so, you know, I think actually one of the catalysts for... Um, <clears throat> moving to like Solana and Matic for a lot of NFTs was, was actually Hen dying. Uh, Cause Hen was really, really a big, big source of alternative NFT volume. Hmm. Fascinating. That, that is that a very, Hen it's a very esoteric one. <laughs> yeah, that is very esoteric. Um, it, but Hen is coming back a lot, right? I heard that the volumes are actually quite good now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the community is trying to take over, take the brand back for sure. Uh, okay. I mean, like, look, they, the other people that you've heard of who are, have more marketing behind them, like Zora and Foundation and stuff, have less volume than Hen often. So mm. it's it's worth it's worth considering that they're like kind of this weird dark horse that um, artists like a lot more. They invented the green this green NFT like yeah. proof of stake thing. That was their <laughs> that was their. I actually like I feel like Tezos like kind of seeded all these like blockchain has this terrible carbon footprint discussion to like push tezos and green nfts which is annoying because then it's like it just becomes this, this cloud they have to discuss over every other every other blockchain but i guess it's how they get you know carve out their niche right it's like 
like why why else would you mint an nft on tezos versus ethereum it's like well it's like proof of stake so therefore it's green i guess but even even like that idea is sort of you know has to be sort of you know forced and created okay let's move on to biggest surprise so i'll I'll go ahead and start on biggest surprise um so biggest surprise of 2021 for me was the rise of the one bit pools on uniswap v3 so this was something that like i always thought fundamentally about uniswap that uniswap um, so I, I'm not going to try to explain Uniswap very briefly, but um, with Uniswap v3, you had this ability for different Uniswap pools to charge different prices um, that that basically get collected as a fee for the LPs. And my assumption had always been that by the nature of Uniswap, they're not going to be able to charge super, super tight fees, super small fees for most of these markets because Uniswap just doesn't have enough fine-grained ability to price things really effectively. It's just too gas inefficient. You know, just the natural nature of AMMs that you need some significant fees to charge in order for the whole thing to work. And one bit pools have emerged now on Uniswap v3. They were they were voted in. I think originally it was like five bit was that was the smallest uh, uh, fee range, and they upgraded to now have one bit pools, and they're now doing an insane amount of volume. So uh, I think it's both on stables and also isn't it also on uh, ETH uh, uh, ETH USDC think- or something? I think it is, but I, I'm looking at the here. I'll look at the site right now. I think it's mostly still just stables, but that kind of makes sense, right? Um, I think it would still be very hard for them to be uh, profitable on, yeah, yeah. on, on non stable pairs. There, what's the other dominant? There was another dominant one bit pool. Maybe it's actually come down a lot because people realize they can make money on it. Okay, but then the five bit USDC ETH pool. Yeah. I also found that quite surprising that uh, five bips was like a really stable. Um, five yeah, so if you look at volume, outperformed yeah, five bips USDC thirty basis points on the fees you earn. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, absolutely crazy. Yeah. Um, so that that really right. blew me away. I found that uh, that was definitely not what I anticipated was going to happen uh, with the advent of Unity V three, but um, Unity V three really proved everybody wrong. So incredible stuff. Yeah, that's a good one. Rob, you want to go? Which category are we on? Biggest surprise. Oh, well, biggest, biggest surprise. I think biggest right. surprise was this topic. He did, okay, Robert yeah, was biggest not surprise this topic. I was, you know, researching one bit pools. I was on Uniswap.info. Um, the biggest surprise that I had was actually in NFT land. And there was a couple surprises. One is that Beeple 5,000 Days sold for $69 million, and it feels like 20 years ago. Mm. Doesn't feel like 2021. Totally. Second... Totally is Bored Apes flipped punks. Huge surprise. I never would have thought that, even a couple months ago, right? Huge surprise. I think- The floor than, flipped, not the, not the floor, aggregate. Right, right, right. Yeah, we're not talking aliens versus, you know, some apes, but the floor, which most users consider to be the, the, the primary price, because for most people, mm-hmm. that's the on-ramp to the asset, right? So- mm-hmm. The floor, which is what most people would use to get into the NFT, flipped. Um, Huge surprise. Mostly due to two extremely different approaches to IP. And if you count people, it's like a third approach to IP. But apes versus CryptoPunks really, I think, explain for people two different approaches. One is a very corporate approach. We'll call it CryptoPunks. And one is more of a bottom-up approach, which is apes. Still with like a top-down, like creation of new assets and community building. But one in which, you know, it feels like, you know, top down versus bottom up. And I think it was a primary driver about why this year saw apes exceed punks. 
which I never would have thought at the beginning of the year. I never would have thought that Larva Labs would have been restrictive of IP and tried to monetize it for themselves, while apes would give IP rights to their owners and users, as well as lots and lots of airdrops of new assets to their owners to make it feel like owning it had like IP plus plus plus. But in terms of the outcome of these two strategies, um, I was surprised by the fact that it worked so effectively to take what was the Bitcoin of NFTs and have the Ethereum of NFTs flip it. I very much agree with you. It's surprising and not something I would have anticipated, but I don't think it's because of the IP thing. Um, I think it's it's just purely like a like art and, and sort of like what vein of culture have you tapped into? Like Larva Labs, I think, and I think CryptoPunks like just aren't don't have that sort of like mainstream accessibility. We've seen like obviously some some artist agencies are like pushing you know apes through their um, um, you know through their celebrities. So like uh, athletes, a lot of entertainers getting into apes, and that sort of becomes a sort of like you know mimetic desire thing. On top of everything you mentioned around just like engaging more with the community, Larva Labs is like this like orphaned child or uh, CryptoPunks like this orphaned child that Larva Labs just doesn't really want to deal with. It seems like, but um yeah boo larva labs boo <laughs> yeah um so yeah I, I i agree with you very surprising but i think the ip thing again is like it's an esoteric take it's like crypto people care about that but i think if you go to like the board ape meetup in new york people are like they just think it's cool and they and it, it's like the artwork is maybe more accessible or more interesting or like more varied and for, for whatever reason you know there's probably some random processes to like making it you know more accessible to people you want to go up next? Big surprise? Yeah, yeah. I think that my biggest surprise was sort of uh, the Luna burn, how effective that was, um, and like how like Luna just like you know the, as one of the sole Luna Avax uh, contingent really sort of bloomed. But Luna grew in a very different way than <clears throat> Solana and um, Avalanche. Avalanche and Solana really grew from a ton of yield farms. Um, which are basically places where people could put up assets and earn sort of percentage ownership and new smart contracts that are being built um, as protocols. <clears throat> Luna has very few DeFi protocols on it. There's very there's very little app activity outside of the main payment transfer and, crucially, their staking derivative. So their staking derivative drives like 60 to 80% of the volume um, demand for the stablecoin that is native to, to Luna's platform, UST. And Luna had a bunch of apps earlier in the year that had a ton of success and then that kind of got crimped by regulatory stuff like Mirror. So you, I don't know if you've been, you, you guys remember this, but all the DEXs, front ends, like the official ones removed Mirror uh, and Uma um, because of like the sort of regulatory stuff uh, around synthetics. But in spite of that, Luna building these staking derivatives and building this kind of sort of like almost a little bit like an Ohm style uh, liquidity mechanic for borrowing against your stake um, really was able to bootstrap like crazy. And then they did this burn where they burned a gigantic portion of the supply. And historically, when chains have done this, like Stellar did this burn where they burned 50% of the Lumen supply, did not do anything. Right. The Luna burn is the, is the exact opposite. You know, bo both of them have astronomical names, but that's the only thing they have in common. So I, I think that that's like a really interesting thing of like how staking derivatives can actually bootstrap. Staking derivatives combined with a burn can like 5x your market cap on a, on a yeah. big cap coin. 
Yeah, no, a pretty incredible success story for token economics, being able to really drive the value of, uh, of a token. Tom, biggest surprise? Uh, I guess sort of going along with Robert, just like the NFT renaissance, I think um, like the DeFi kind of wave and DeFi summer 2020, like we kind of felt that it was coming for for a while and we sort of saw this gradual buildup of, of projects that were um, building in the space and and developing and it sort of, you know, it, it sort of felt like there was there was there was a, a um, trajectory behind it. I, I was looking back before um, this this show, like, OK, what were people predicting in, in 2021 and like, what did people miss? And basically, like, obviously, people have been excited about NFTs for a while, you know, myself, myself included, um, and sort of investing in, in the NFT space. But no one was really like, like, and if there's no NFT section of people's 2021 you know, predictions, it was like, oh, NFTs are a thing, like, maybe they'll people will be entered to digital art next year. And so I feel like NF, the NFT renaissance, and specifically the different waves of it, I think, just caught me by surprise. And I caught a lot of people by surprise, like how mainstream it was. Um, it's kind of a weird idea and like, I feel like it's kind of nerdy, but um, like, you know, there was sort of that wave in, in March that was all celebrity driven, like Nifty Gateway, like Grimes NFTs. And like, that was when it was on SNL. And I was like, okay, I kind of get that like celebrities want to like sell, you know, digital representations of themselves. That that makes sense. But the fact that all these like crypto native, like PFP things have gone so popular, um, I just would not have predicted. It's kind of crazy to me that there's people on TikTok explaining how to like, set up MetaMask and like switch it over to like Polygon. And that like it's people are really, really getting in the, in the weeds with it. And it's like very mainstream. So I never would have predicted that. I think I thought it would have been kind of, you know, uh, Nifty Gateway style forever. But um, yeah, it turns out uh, there's, there's your 2021 surprise. Crypto comes at you fast, man. Yeah. Things change sooner than you uh, than you think they can. OK, we're running low on time. So we're going to we're going to skip forward to. Um, Best meme. So what was the best meme slash moment slash event of 2021? Um, Tom, can you throw can you throw these up on the screen? Because I think we're going we're gonna to need you yes. for these. Yes. Okay. So um, Rob, why don't you go first? <laughs> Rob, you're muted. The most important award category right here. This is obviously the most important. This is the one we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna make a trophy for. <laughs> Great meme. I love this meme. Tom, I feel like we need an NFT of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll go to go first. Um, so my pick for best meme was the, uh, uh SPF, Sam Bankman Freed, the shoes that he was wearing at the Capitol hearing. I thought this was absolutely amazing. And, uh, I still, I still remember this. So this is just the look of somebody who they have so much money that nothing matters anymore. That is how you tie your shoe when you don't care what anybody thinks other than that you don't want them to shut down crypto. Those are the shoes of a superhero. Yeah. Yeah, it's so very on pick. brand. Yeah. All right, Tom, what's you? I, I interpreted this very differently. Uh, my my top meme for 2021 was Web3. Uh, I think the rebranding of crypto and like cryptocurrency to Web3 sort of inadvertently has been super genius. Like for whatever reason, that has sort of made it click for people. And now like it feels a little weird to tell people I work in crypto or I'm a crypto investor. I think that kind of almost has like a little bit of a strange or negative connotation. But you tell people you work in Web3, it's maybe a little bit pretentious, but I feel like it sort of made the entire value prop and like the entire ethos of, of like the whole space click a little bit more for for, for mainstream, uh, even, even like sort of, you know, Web2 normal tech type people. So 
that's my vote for for best meme actually is like web3 sort of almost sort of supplanting uh uh, uh crypto as like how people refer to everything that's going on in the space that's that's a good choice i've also noticed that web3 has become much more high highbrow i feel like than crypto. yes crypto crypto yeah. sounds like you're trying to get rich quick it sounds like whatever yes. Whereas Web3 is like, no, you're trying to remake the web and this new kind of enlightened, more socialist image. Yeah. There's nothing better than venture capitalists saying they're socialists thanks to Web3. Like that's the yeah. ultimate <laughs> 3D chess or Escher impossible staircase move. It's true. And it, it's, it's true. a little bit more inclusive, right? It's like you get the <laughs> NFTs, you get the file sharing, you get the decentralized Twitter. Like, you know, it's weird to call like, like Filecoin, like cryptocurrency. It's like, well, kind of, but... Also kind of not, not really. So, yeah, I feel like AOC does not like crypto, but she does like Web3. Yeah. So it, works. It, 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 it expands the tentpole, you know, allows us to bring in more. So, so actually, I just have a question. Like, what's the provenance, right? I, I always just thought Gavin Wood came up with it for describing Polkadot, but never marketed it that way because it's the Web3 Foundation, right? They, they actually had the term way, way back like before. Five years ago. <laughs> five years ago. But someone then... And I suspect it's, uh, you know, A16Z plus a couple other people who are doing more like lobbying stuff in Congress. Uh, but like someone revitalized it and ripped out the polka dot part and said like everything else, like NFTs equals Web3, not polka dot. And I, I thought that was also there's some like interesting dynamic there of like, how did that ha- transition happen? Because polka dot has had that name forever and they were hitting the circuit really hard being like, this is the new internet. This is decentralized web in like the bottom of the bear market. And no one gave a shit. Like literally zero people gave a shit about that narrative then. And somehow now NFTs made it like tangible. Couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell know. you. But I, I'd love to see some sleuthing on <laughs> where exactly the Web3 term got popularized from. I mean, that'd be, that'd be some A16Z. Four characters. That's the answer. <laughs> Probably. Probably true. Uh, Truman, yeah. what's your pick? Uh, you know, in, 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 in my uh, camaraderie with the Omis, it's 3-3. But I think the best moment for 3-3 was when Grimes, after the Elon Musk separation thing, and Elon Musk was like, NFTs suck, he, she just like posted this tweet, 3-3. And I thought that was, that was like, that was the meme of the year for me. Solid. I'm going to go with you. Yeah, I'm going to go with the real counterculture picks right here. I think all the dog coins, not Dogecoin, but all of the fly-by-night, like, pop-up hmm. for a week, dogs named after Elon Musk, named after some other meme. The recursivity of these memes with the dog coins has gotten so deep that I think they win, just in terms of total amount of energy captured by the retail public. These... Hmm worthless, pointless dog offshoot of dog offshoot of dog coins. I think one, just based on their prevalence and the amount of market cap that they created off of absolutely nothing but meme uh, this year. Like the fact that Shiba, Floki, and all of these things are what they are. I hate it. I think it's dark. It's depressing. It goes against everything I like and believe in in crypto. But the crazy ass dog coins, I think, were the best meme this year. Solid choice. Okay. In the very short time we have left, let's do rapid fire 2022 predictions. So 
I'll go first. I'll just listen through my predictions for 2022. One, the GameFi bubble pops. Two, we get a DeFi bull market again. Three, I think we're going to see synthetic assets actually start to work in DeFi. For those who don't know, synthetic assets are um, uh, assets that uh, are track the price of some underlying real asset, like you know the S&P 500 or something like that. Um, and then lastly, I think we're going to get a spot Bitcoin ETF. Those are my predictions for 2022. Tom, what are you? Uh, I got DAO boom. I think Constitution DAO was just the beginning. I think people are going to figure out how to make crowdfunding and DAOs work well and make it work super simply. And we're going to see DAOs go out and doing more real world things and buying stuff. So I think that's going to be a thing. Um, I think crypto native gaming is going to kind of replace GameFi, like kind of stuff like Dark Forest, where it's like you're using a blockchain to do game mechanics and PVP. And like, you know, you're playing something through like a, a smart contract as opposed to just like, taking items and put them on a blockchain. I think um, we're going to see more stuff like that. And I think identity. Um, a lot of teams are working on different ways to sort of, you know, now that people are actually doing things on chain, there's real economies and, you know, people trading NFTs, like finding ways to sort of tie identity into, into what you're actually doing on chain. So um, I think that's going to be more of a thing going forward in, in 2022 and beyond. Okay, Tarun, predictions. Uh, yes. So yeah, to, to Tom's uh point on DAOs. I think DAOs purchases will get wilder than they were this year. You know, like the th- uh, Tom, Robert and I are in Pleaser DAO and, you know, you know, it's kind of crazy that that was March where we were like trying to negotiate buying Wu-Tang from the government. Uh, but, you know, I think it's going to be like 10 times crazier, like a sports team, maybe a tiny nation. I don't know. I, that, that one might be a little bit harder, but <laughs> I think there's going to be some very, very crazy purchases over the next 12 months. Um, by collective units. <clears throat> and uh, I think privacy preserving layer twos are going to have a moment uh, because I think bootstrapping something like Tornado on every single chain is kind of hard. Uh, getting a lot of liquidity, getting like kind of the mechanism working. Um, and there's clearly a demand for Tornado on ETH. So I think that there will be demand for such solutions, but I think it'll be easier to do it as a privacy preserving layer two and there's a bridge from multiple chains to it. And things like Aztec and stuff, you know, have been making some crazy strides. Uh, very impressive. On, on the ZK side, I think that was like the biggest surprise for me, how far Aztec has gotten. Um, I think there's going to be a $100 million plus hack on Solunavex. I'm just calling that as the one. Solunavex? Solunavex. So, so at the application yeah, layer or at the protocol? Oh, Solunavex. Solunavex, yes. Solunavex. Which sounds like a really bad, uh, poorly made uh, COVID vaccine, but uh, <laughs> that's true. But uh, we should call I it SLA. That, I feel like it's a good acronym. <laughs> we got to start popularizing. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I think on the application layer, I, I, I think like we're overdue for some some big hacks there. There's just too mm. much money sitting in mm. these unaudited yield farms on those that like that can't last forever. Um, NFT finance is going to have its moment. People borrowing against their NFTs, getting leverage on their NFTs. I think fractional obviously having such a big year was the first part of that, but like that is going to expand into other types of financial products. Uh, and I think blockchain gaming thumbs down. Most GameFi, I don't think you survive. Sorry. I think like it, I think there will be games that are made. I just don't think they're going to be this like you know SoftBank throws two billion dollars at something and like it, <laughs> it like becomes popular. Shots fired by SoftBank. If you're out there, please sponsor our show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Robert, last word, 2022 predictions. 
So I think 2022 is the year that we get crypto native legislation in the United States, where we have two houses of Congress and an executive branch that ratify legislation around crypto. Doesn't mean it's going to be huge, doesn't mean it's going to create clarity in all different ways, but I think we're going to get um, real crypto legislation um, in 2022. I think that we've reached the boiling point. I think there's starting to be an awareness. I think there's starting to be a conversation entering the national stage where I think 2022 is the year that we start to see some real legislation. And you think the legislation is going to be good or bad or neutral? Could be either. Could be both. But well, obviously I'm hopeful both. that it's positive. On, Robert, this is 22 <laughs> predictions. Yeah. yeah. Good, bad, or, or neutral? Predicting that there's going to be legislation. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You're fired from the show. You're not invited back to the next one, Robert. <laughs> um, Can't fire all right. me. I think that's... I think, <laughs> I think that it's true. It is a doubt. We got to put up to a vote. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, guys, uh, this was a lot of fun. Thank you to Laura for having us. And thank you all of you for, for listening. Uh, I think that's it for us. You'll see us in, in the new year in 2022. And uh, we look forward to DJing with, with the rest of you. But uh, thanks for having us.